60 songs that explain the 90s are back and in their final stretch. The Ringer's music critic Rob Harvilla curates and explores 60 iconic songs from the 90s that define the decade. Rob is joined by a variety of guests to break it all down as they turn back the clock. Check out 60 songs that explain the 90s exclusively on Spotify. What's up, everybody? We back. R2C2. Another two-week episode. A two-episode two week, I guess I should say. <laughs> we promise you Thursday. We're giving you Thursday. Always. Yeah. You always get Thursday, and then you get a bonus day as well somewhere in there. So you got Tuesday, which, see, let's start off with this. You and I were on the money with our mid-game prediction. Even though the Red Sox were winning 2-1 in the sixth inning, you and I both felt like the Astros were going to come back and win that game. Yeah, for sure, man. It's just they've been swinging the bat so well, and I just knew that Boston was short on pitching coming into the series. I, I mean, I think we thought both teams were short on pitching coming yeah. into the series, but, you know, um, the Astros have been able to piece it together um, and coming back. Uh, but for me, it's still the umpires, bro. If if Laz Diaz calls the game right, then Nathan Evaldi is, is struck out, you know, uh, I think it was Tucker. Mm-hmm. It was Kyle Tucker. Um, you know, on a three-two, three-two curveball, or and, and and that's the game right there. Like they broke it open after that. You know what I'm yeah, saying? They so, would have been going to the bottom of the ninth, tied. Yeah, it, too. It, it's just crazy how these calls have been, you know, changing the the games and changing, you know, the series and everything. It's 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 pretty crazy. They got to get this right, man. But yeah, so Evaldi makes that pitch and you know doesn't get the call and. You know, we see we see uh, the Astros go crazy after that. Yeah, I mean, uh, the the Evaldi one. What's interesting is it wasn't like the most egregious thing we saw from Laz uh-uh. Diaz. No, it wasn't. Know? But 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 because but, of everything else that was yeah, going, like the yeah. strike three call to JD Martinez <laughs> and just him being, I mean, all around the plate all fucking yeah. night. That yeah. makes it bad. Yeah, exactly. Because on face, right? That was like. One of those pitches that's on the edge of the box and yeah. could be called a ball, whatever. Of course, but but when but, you're missing pitches all night, then that pisses you off. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Oh, oh yeah, dude. I mean, if you look at if you Laz Diaz missed 21 ball strike calls, that can't according happen, to ESPN stats and info. I mean, that's crazy. That's crazy. That's guys. crazy. Like to miss that many pitches, and if you look at some of the pitches, like you said, the one to JD Martinez, like yeah, that. That pitch that was, you know, should have been called strike three and wasn't obviously was incredibly consequential, but it was not as bad of a miss if you're just looking at the pitches that he he missed elsewhere yeah. in a vacuum. Like there, there are like there are like 10 pitches that are maybe even more than that, that are, I don't know, at least two inches off the outside corner that were called strikes in that game. Uh, are the unhittable. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Exactly. Like those are pitches that that the like the, the hitter can't do anything with. You can't call a pitch a strike that a guy can't get the bat on. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like that shit yeah. makes no sense, bro. Like what are we doing? Cause it's crazy. Well, and, and interestingly, see, when we had the conversation with Theo Epstein, which if you guys haven't heard our podcast with Theo Epstein and you're a fan of this sport and you're curious about where it's going, I could not recommend that interview more highly. David Cohen still references that conversation. Almost every day I talk to him because Theo was so good in detail with us. And 
you know, one of the things we talked about that they're experimenting with uh, in different levels of minor league baseball and independent ball is the automated strike zone. And see, you've talked about it. And Theo, you know, he he wasn't totally tipping his hand because he didn't want to necessarily favor one variable over another. But he seemed to be indicating as well that he really believes that could be a key thing for, you know, getting more action into the game as well as speeding it up, which has been your biggest thing too, which I understand because if you're a hitter and let's say you happen to step into the box on a day Laz Diaz is behind the plate, all of a sudden what you think you have to swing at is completely different than when you're stepping into the box when there's somebody who's somewhat close to what the strike zone's supposed to be. And, and it just changes your whole approach. You know what I'm saying? Like, it changes the hitter's approach because you start chasing pitches that you won't chase, and mm-hmm. you get out of it. It can put you in a slump. You know what I'm saying? Like, you get out of your little your little tunnel that you're looking for the ball in, and, and you know, the guy keeps calling the strike. And it's not just Laz Diaz. I mean, he's yeah. just the the latest one of, you know. Latest, me, greatest? Yeah, it's Angel. It's all of them. You know, yeah. I've always had a problem with all of the umpires. So... I just want them to be able to get this right, man. I think in every other sport, they've, you know, figured it out to where, you know, this stuff doesn't happen, man. And, and you know, these are this is changing series. It's changing at-bats. And it's, I think it's going on too long. And, and the guys are throwing harder. Stuff's yeah. moving all over the place. Like, yeah. it's it's hard to, to see that. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I think we got we to gotta make an adjustment. Well, and in fairness to the umpires, right, like, you know, who wants to do a job where the audience sees instantly what you couldn't? That's what it is, too, is the box is on the screen. Yeah. So having a box on the screen, it just automatically leads to, you know, a guy, we being able to call out a mistake right away. Yeah. And and it's, for me, it's every, like, I'm watching the game with with Lil C all the time, and it's every pitch. I get mad. Like, I get mad for hitters. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it's, you know, you would think that I would want pitchers to get calls, but I would me, think I get that. mad at I get mad at for for the hitters, man, because it just it's just hard and it puts a strain on them. And I always tell you, if we if we actually had to throw the ball over the plate, somebody's gonna hit four hundred, bro. Like if they go to that automated strike zone and you actually have to throw a strike, somebody's gonna hit four hundred in the big leagues for sure. Yeah, I, I I think that that's where we're heading. Um, you know, it's not completely different than seeing a ball that is called foul, and then we see a replay is actually fair, right? That just happens less. So it, it doesn't. it's not as normal an occurrence as ball strikes, which obviously happen, you know, hundreds of times throughout a game. But if you think about it, it's ridiculous, right, to watch a game, see a ball that's fair called foul, and have it stay foul. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what we're doing with balls and strikes. Like we see, because of the box, we see that's a strike. It's called a ball, and there's nothing you can do about it. And it happens tons of times. Like on average, it's probably happening what fifteen times a game where you're seeing a pitch where you're like, "Well, that wasn't a strike, but it was just called one," or "That wasn't a ball, but it was just called one." So I think it helps everybody out if you can do that. And you know. I- I don't know if I was if I was the umpire and and you know I'm sure there's pride they take in it and look there's a cu- couple of the young umpires and I forget the one dude's name I did a game with Coney and I was blown away by how on the money this person was with pitches on the borderline of the zone he kept getting it right every time which I think he like some of the younger umpires are very well studied in the automated strike in like the box right the box, and they understand yeah. exactly where the K box is 
And, and it's not it's not an easy gig. But I just think about this. See, think about when you're sitting watching a, a major league baseball game behind the plate, right? Or a, as a fan, like it's not that easy to tell. Like, okay, that's definitely a strike. That's definitely a ball, right? It, when you see the box that's when as an audience, you're like, oh, what is going on? If the box wasn't there, you definitely would not feel that way nearly as much as you do until you saw the overhead shot. But if I'm an umpire, I want the tools to help me. I want things to make me do a better job. I don't want something to continually exploit my mistakes. Yeah, and you know what's crazy is that, like, the hitters know. Like, if you see a a ball, like, right outside the box, they always, like, throw in a fit. You know what I'm saying? Like, they know the strike zone so well. So, like, it's it's crazy how, how much, like, for balls this far off the out of the box, like a guy's, a guy's, you know, Michael Brantley. I, I, I say, yeah. I mean, I, I always see him. He knows the strike zone so well. Guardy knows the strike zone so well. These guys know, so it's it's hard for them to, you know, stand there approaching everything and and keep the ball over the plate when you know guys calling the ball five, six, seven inches off the plate. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. I, I, it's interesting because. People got on Alex Cora for bringing in Evaldi in that situation, but I don't because no, it worked. It yeah, worked. He he's made done the it pitch. in the past. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, like, look, I, I think Cora knew the series is hanging in the balance right there. It's a it's a two two game in the ninth inning, and yes, he's he's supposed to be starting game six, and you're going to be using him in this fashion, and you know whatever else. But Evaldi, as we saw a couple years ago, has shown flexibility with being able to come out of the pen, be effective, and then still start in the same series a couple days later or continue on in the pen. And and what I appreciate about what Alex Cora did in that moment, even though it did not work out, is he realized, even though we're up to one of the series, this is the series. This right here is the series. I need to go for it. And you're right, see, he's a, a ball strike call away from getting Evaldi through that ninth to the bottom of the ninth, and who knows what happens Instead, obviously, everything turns there. They end up allowing seven runs between him and Perez. Um, but I have absolutely no problem with with Cora going to Avaldi in that spot. No, I had no problem with it either. I mean, even when he was warming up, you know, everybody was making a big fuss about it. But like you said, Evo's done this before. I, I'm pretty sure he pitched out of the pen with us too for a little bit um, when he was in New York. Uh, he would he would he bounced back and forth a couple of times. So he's a guy that can handle it and. He knows his body so well. He works so hard that, you know, he's never going to put himself in a position to get hurt. You know, if if he can go out there and pitch out of the bullpen or start, like in the same series, I trust that he can do it. You know what's interesting, just talking about Evaldi? Um, I think it was in in Boston. You remember that, like, bar in the lobby at the uh, Ritz in, Bo- in Boston where yeah. you guys would stay? And I was sitting there with uh, Mike Medvin, who's uh, one of our colleagues of the Guest Network. Uh, he was our tape AD at the time, just like fantastic at, at what he does. Now is a great producer for us. And, and Alex came up to us. I think this was 2015, I want to say. Hey, A-Rod. And he comes up to us and we're talking about Avaldi. And he he's like, man, he's like, when he starts throwing the, a splitter and elevating his fastball, he is going to be untouchable. He's like, watch. He's like, he. I'm trying to get him to elevate the fastball. I'm trying to get him to like throw at eye level with the hit with the hitters. He's starting to learn the split. I was like, he's like, when he has those two pitches, watch. He is going to be filthy. And I at the time remember like Nathan Avaldi had been kind of meh for the Yankees. You know, like he he hadn't been 
But so I was like, all right, let's see. And it's funny, see, I mean, you saw it firsthand, like the evolution and the transformation of this guy to where he's the weapon who Alex Cora wants to go to in that game. He's that yeah. weapon. Now, you know what's crazy is that I remember that time for him when he was transitioning. And Larry Rothschild taught him to split. Did he really? Evo, yeah, Evo gets hurt. We don't sign him back. He goes to Boston and turns into what he turned into. You know what uh. I'm saying? So he learned everything in New York and then went up to Boston and fucking reversed it on us. Like, uh. it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, Larry, and, you know, Larry was trying to get him to, to pitch the way he's pitching now. Elevated heaters. He was trying to get him to throw the cutter. Evo kind of fell in love with his cutter, and then sometimes it gets him in trouble still. I mean, that's what you've seen Giancarlo hit off of him a mm -hmm. couple of times in those in the wild card game and in that uh, last series in Boston. But when he learned that split, man, and he got healthy, like, that's all Larry Rothschild. Like, what you see of, of Evo right now is what Larry wanted him to do when he was a Yankee. Man, that's a pitcher. That's one that got away for the Yankees. That's one that got away for sure. Because if you put him, he's, he is a no-doubt-about-it number two starter. And that has been something that's been missing a little bit. If you put him behind Cole, you'd feel real good about what you're trotting out yeah, in, for in, sure. in, in, in the postseason. And, and, you know, for me, he's a guy like, you know, he can handle New York. He's, you know, obviously he's pitching great in Boston, but he's not scared, man. Like, and I, and I know that sounds crazy. Like, he, he will take the ball. Like, yeah. And I, you got to love that about him. Like. He, he, he's not going to run from the moment. Like, he wants to be out there. Just like he told Alex, I want to be out in the bullpen. I want to come in and help us if I can. Like, he wants the damn ball, and, and I love that about him. Him, Lance Lynn, like, these guys I got a chance to play with and, and you know, understand, you know, they're kind of just like me, where just give me the fucking yeah. ball and get out of the way. And he, I love I love that about both of those dudes. He's one of your guys, right? You and yeah, Evo, close. Me, me and Evo are real close, yeah. Yeah, we, we ate I, breakfast every morning when I came out of rehab. When I he was my breakfast partner before Harky. Oh really? Oh, <laughs> yeah. that's great. Yeah. What would you say? Like his his person? He always seemed like such a kind dude, man. He is super super nice dude, um, caring like a just a just a just a good person, and yeah. uh, always want to take care of people. Um, his wife is like an amazing bake baker bros like she really she cooked, oh my god like cookies and, <laughs> and cakes and like oh, muffins and stuff. Awesome. So she's the best yeah so uh, now nah, evo's evo's uh he's he's a little, he's an awesome dude man so the red sox end up losing that game as we thought they would and then yesterday in, in a close game in the sixth inning the astros just end up pounding away at the red sox and we were talking about the other day see like how okay you have your core guys and then you just need two more guys to step up and four the Astros and ended up being Alvarez and Gurriel, who Jordan Alvarez was a guy who you guys pitched unbelievably well in the ALCS in 2019. But I was just like waiting to get going because he's so scary. Yeah. And he, I mean, the thing I love about him is using the opposite field, which he did yeah. again in game five. I mean, he, he, he is, He's Those a dangerous were, dude. That's yeah, he is dangerous, but but he can be neutralized though. You can pitch him. You can pitch to him, especially mm -hmm. Chris Sale. He just, I mean, his command is so off. Yeah, uh, Sale right now. But if he throws that fastball in, Alvarez has no chance of of getting to 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 Sale. You yeah. know, he gets that ball out of the way. I mean, even the the double that he slapped the left field is just a fastball that Sale missed. That's that's out over the plate that he can handle. If you keep the ball close to Jordan. You can you can pretty much get him out a lot. I mean, mm. especially left-handed. 
Are there? This is interesting. It, it makes me think I mean, of a especially bigger, a lefty pitcher. Uh, yeah, like, you know, yeah. It it makes me think of a bigger sort of conversation about lineup construction. But you know, there are a lot of hitters who are incredibly productive, right? And over the course of one sixty two, they're going to be unbelievably productive. Or if you make a mistake, they're going to smash it. But they may have holes in their swing, right? They may have areas where you can get them out. And in the postseason, it's presumably easier to exploit that because you're so laser focused. The scouting reports are so dialed in. You're just digesting one series, and you're probably seeing the best of the best pitching, right? But are there hitters, see, that are more frustrating to face, let's say, in an October game because they don't have those areas? Maybe they're not as scary as far as the damage they do with a mistake, but they're more frustrating to face because there's not that obvious place where you can pitch them. Yeah, I mean, just thinking about the playoffs right now, Michael Brantley's got to be that guy that just yeah. gives you a headache. You know, he's going to put a professional at bat every single time. He's going to wait you out. He's going to make you throw the ball over the plate. If you make a mistake, he's going to hammer it into the gap. You know what I'm saying? And just keep the line moving. So I think just thinking about this playoffs and, like, who I'm watching right now, Michael Brantley has to be that guy. Thinking about, you know, years that, that you know, I was, you know, pitching or – in the playoffs, I'm trying to think about a guy who would, would just give me tough at-bats that I hated facing. It would have been like a Tigers lineup, like Miguel Cabrera. Mm. Like, I remember I remember in 09, mm. in 09, when they played that one-game playoff against the Twins, I was praying for the Twins to win that game. Yeah, man. I remember <laughs> man. feeling that way, too. Yes. Everybody, we were all praying for yes. the Twins to win that game because that lineup, the way it was constructed with Miggy in the middle of it, it just it's a, it's a tough one to, to navigate, especially in October. When they are laser laser focused on you too, so it, you know it goes both ways um, in these in these playoff series. So just thinking about back when I was pitching in in the playoffs, it would have been a Detroit team with Mickey in the middle. And I think just watching this playoffs and and the way Michael Brantley just can keep that line moving, man. Whether you know you need a ground ball to the to the right side to get the to get the runner over, you need a double in a gap, you need a walk. I mean, he's going to keep the line moving and and, and give you a productive at bat. I always thought Jeter was that kind of hitter where there was no obvious holes in, in his swing. I always thought that was one of the reasons why, like, I you, I just felt like he was always going to give you. I mean, obviously, he was built for the moment, and, and we saw that a million times over. But I always just thought, too, against good pitching, he was always still going to give you a competitive at bat. And yeah. I, if you watch, if you watch guys every single day baseball's interesting in that you can tell the guys who can hit good pitching and the guys who can't right absolutely and, and generally it's the guys who stay the same against all kinds of pitching and Derek was always that kind of guy um I also thought and and these weren't necessarily guys who didn't have maybe places you could exploit but hitters who I felt that way in the Yankee universe watching in like big spots or whatever I always felt like Johnny Damon was a dude who, like he could hit good pitching. He may have had like, you know, more susceptibilities in his swing, but I always felt like he was a dude who was kind of like be able to bring it against good pitching and didn't have this great variation, bad pitching, good pitching. And Matsui. Matsui was another dude oh, no, who I Matsui felt that way about. Planet. Yeah. Right? Like where it's like, okay, good pitching, bad pitching, he's gonna be himself. He's not gonna just exploit it. Whereas, like, for example, there the Yankee lineup that um scored all of its runs and say like oh four oh five i thought it was like loaded up with a lot of hitters you know outside of 
you know, those guys who mashed in the regular season. But when it came to a tough at bat in the playoffs, I knew they could be gone in three or four pitches, you know? And I mean, you know, you know who can give you a tough at bat, but I mean, Altuve's the same way. Yeah, he is. Same way. Altuve's right. the same way. Yeah. Um, because he, like, and I always tell you this, he, like, anything that he can handle, that he can swing and put the barrel on, he can hit out. Yeah. And he's, and he's tiny. So yeah. there's really nowhere for you to throw the ball yeah. that he can't hit a home run. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, this shit is crazy. Like, he can handle high pitches. He can handle high pitches with velocity. He handles, you know, anything down. Like, anything that he can put the bat on, bro, he can hit out. And that makes it challenging as a, you know, for a, for a pitcher to, to, to face him. Yeah, look what happened in the eighth inning of of game four, right? Quick, like, yeah. and and it, and this and it could be first pitch. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it, there's no rhyme or reason to like his at bat to what he's doing. You never know if he's taking. Like, he's dangerous in the sense of you know you never know if he's aggressive or if he's taking and anything he can handle, he can hit out. You know what's interesting? What the Astros did with Dusty Baker, who you told such a wonderful story a couple pods ago about you guys first meeting when you were you know, a young kid, which if you guys didn't hear that, just make sure you go back and listen to um, to our, our R2-C2 at the at the start of uh, the Astros um, for wild card round. Was it the Boston Series or was it the podcast from, I think it might have been from when they were playing the, uh, oh, the who did they play in the first round? The White Sox. The White Sox. I think it was yeah. from them because you were talking about why you'd root for them. It was great. But it's so fascinating, man, how the, them hiring Dusty did exactly what it was intended to do, right? It put this professional, likable presence and face on an organization that just did not have that, that obviously was tangled in a an elaborate cheating scandal, was sort of smug and unapologetic about it, just like incredibly unlikable. But then you put Dusty there, and, and as much as I, I don't like rooting for the Astros at all, although in this series I feel like every Yankee fan is, you put Dusty there, and it's kind of like, well, I'm happy for that guy. Like, I kind of want <laughs> that guy to get his World Series. You know, it's it, it's it's interesting how it's a credit to Dusty that he has that kind of effect. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think he was the only person that they could have hired that would have this effect on that organization. Yes. Um, so it was a brilliant hire, and you know, I think you know it's got people rooting for them because you're rooting for Dusty. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, everybody's wanting, you know, and, and knows that he should be in the Hall of Fame. And this would just solidify that. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was brilliant by by their organization to, to you know, identify Dusty and be like, hey, let's bring him in. You know, he he knows what to say. He's been there a million times. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's worked out perfectly for him. You think they end the series in six? Yeah, this series is over. It's so hard yeah. to win in, in Minute Maid or whatever yeah. that is. What is that place called? Uh, what is I'm it called now? Part. Yeah, what is it called now? Is it Minute Maid still? No, it's not Minute Maid, right? Uh, it was. Remember when it was Enron? It was Enron for a long yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what me... the name of it is. But yeah, it's hard to win down there, cuz. Like, <laughs> it's damn near impossible. It? Minute Maid. It's still Minute Maid. Oh, it's Minute Maid. Okay, yeah, yeah it's impossible yeah. to win at that place, bro. So I think this, this shit is over. You know what that was like? That was like a moment where you ever like just, and they joke about this in Ted Lasso, you ever just like think about a word a lot? Like you just keep saying the word and then it gets weird and you're like, what? Like that's kind of like, yeah, yeah. like, like so if you ever, if you like think about the word or, 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 
Well, it's like, what? <laughs> like, you know, it's just like confusing. That's what that was like. Like, I know it's Minute Maid Park, but wait. <laughs> Min- is it Minute Maid? It's not Minute Maid. Is it Minute Maid? Yeah, no, nah, it's not Minute I had Maid. no idea. I had no idea what it was. Have you gotten on Ted Lasso yet, see? No, I haven't watched it. I just finished. Uh, so I'm back on TV, man. I got. Okay. I've been having a lot of time. So I just finished um, Blacklist from last season. So that's okay. 22 episodes. So. Um, Hardy. I, I'm, we, we're on to Ted Lasso. Me and Amber. Amber wants to watch it together. So I'm, yeah, oh, I'm watching, good. we're going to watch that next. I'm watching the morning show right now. Morning show's good, uh, man. The morning show's good. Man, I'm I'm back. Yeah, I'm back in the TV, bro. He's I back, got, I got time again. Yeah, yeah. I'm back. You're going to, let me know when you start Ted Lasso. I think you will really enjoy it, man. It's fantastic. Yeah, Lauren Minaj is uh, uh, our, my PR. She helps me with my, my PR. She keeps telling me I got to watch it. She's my TV uh, reference who I go to a lot to see about shows and she says it's great so it I'm is. definitely gonna get on it alright so we both think the Astros end this in six how about Dodgers Braves I see I'm so impressed with we're recording this Thursday morning I'm so impressed with what the Braves did in game four after the way they lost game three at Dodger Stadium I thought I thought that was that was it now the Dodgers were gonna sail you did not you thought you you like this Braves team a lot. Your boy Eddie Rosario nearly hit for the cycle then in Game Four. He was unbelievable. He, they're up three one. You think Atlanta now is going to win this series against the Dodgers? I do, bro. And I, I, the Braves are better than the Dodgers, cause they were better than them last year. They were up three one last year, and if they're not playing in in uh, Texas, Mookie can't rob that that home run. If they in either park, if they playing in Dodger Stadium or they playing at Truist. Uh, Mookie can't rob that home run, and the Braves probably win that series last year too. I so know, like, but it's so hard to say they're better when bro when they, they won eighty eight games and the Dodgers won one hundred and six. No, I'm, I'm saying when they when they go head to head, the the Braves always outplay them, and if something happened at the end, something happens at the end where you know last year it was Bellinger hitting a home run. The yeah. other day in game what was that game three or four, Bellinger hit another. You know what I'm saying? It's like. The, the 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 Dodgers always do some heroic shit to come back and beat the Braves, almost like us against uh, Minnesota. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. like where the where we're we're almost like evenly matched. We play these great games and we end up walking them off. Like yeah. one year we walked off Minnesota the whole year. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like or Hicksy <laughs> has to make a diving catch. Like it's yeah. one of those things where those organizations play each other and the games are so close and the Dodgers just always end up somehow winning the games. But I think. That the Braves are better, bro. Like they played them. Only the Giants and the and the and the Braves play the Dodgers this good and this close every single time. So for me, I mean, I, it's I, I think I think the I think the Braves have this, man. I think the Braves win tonight. To be honest, wow. I think they're gonna close it out in LA. I think they close it out tonight, man. It's crazy. Wow. I mean, and that star-studded Dodgers team and how much depth they have, but the depth I think is what's hurting them. But you know, having to put Gavin Lux in center field and it's costing them and moving guys all around and so many different pieces and not having like a set lineup every single day. I think, I think it hurts them. Who would be the dude who you'd hone in on in Atlanta's lineup and say, like, is it, is it Freeman or is there someone else who you'd be looking at and being like, man, this is going to be my toughest at bat. Uh, I think it would be Rosario right now because he's leading off, you know, he's Mm. leading off the game and, and, um, you know, you, you go Albies after that, and you go Freddie Freeman. I mean, it's it's that's a tough, you know, top of the first inning if you let Rosario get one off. If you let him hit a double or 
you know, he leads it off. Then you got you got Albies behind him, and then you got Freddie Freeman, who's been swinging a tough bat, who can hit lefties and righties. So I think the key right now is is Eddie Rosario. I mean, obviously, you know, he went off last night, but I mean, he's always a guy that can do what he did last night. You know, I mean, he yeah. had thirty two, I think, in in a season in in Minnesota, have been hurt this year, but man, he's a, he's he makes a lot of contact. He's he swings. He's really aggressive. But he puts the ball in play a lot, and and uh, that can make it you know tough at the beginning of the game. He also, I mean, remember he he homered in that wild card game against yeah. you guys in 2017, right? I mean, he's he also he he hit pretty well then in 2019 in the ALDS against you guys. Like he's had some nice hit, moments man. in a he look in 14 playoff games he's hitting th- in his career he's hitting 358 with an OPS over a thousand. Like he's He's done a pretty nice job in these moments throughout his his playoff career. I yeah. I mean the Braves I, are, the Braves have a and and you know Acuna getting hurt at the right time I think helped them go out and acquire Jack Peterson and Solar and you know Adam Duvall they got back who made a great catch last night went back to back with uh with the with with Rosario and mm-hmm. and you know what I'm saying so I mean them having Acuna go down I think everybody freaked out but it allowed them to get deeper and get some depth and and you know make it a team. You know they traded they traded Pablo. They traded their mascot for Eddie Rosario. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, so like, yeah. It, I mean they 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 just made some great deals and you know were able to uh, you know add some depth to the team um, that was already had a pretty good core. All right, so we both now I I was thinking it was going to be Astros Dodgers. I think Atlanta will beat the Dodgers. Now I'm going to. I'm gonna go to the CC side of things. So, <laughs> so what do you got a blanket on there? Yeah, yeah, bro. Uh, <laughs> cold? It's, it's nine in the morning because I'm going back to bed. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You're at West Coast time. What? All of a sudden, CC just flips up a blanket. He's got. Oh uh, man, I was in Kansas oh, City good. yesterday, bro. I'm dying. Oh, you were? <laughs> yeah, Dude. I was at the museum yesterday. I thought that video was when you from when you were there a, a, a month ago or whatever. No, that was, was yesterday because I flew oh, to Kansas my. City yesterday and back. Gosh, dude, you are relentless. My goodness. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, okay, so we both now think it's going to be a Braves-Astros World Series. We'll see. I, the Do- I'm not writing off the Dodgers. I do not think the Red Sox will come back and beat the Astros. I actually, even though, no. even though that's a 3-2 series, I have more conviction the Astros are going to finish the Red Sox than I do the Braves are going to finish the Dodgers. Yeah, I mean, it, just, them, just them going back to Houston, there's no chance that they win two games in Houston. No. Uh, I mean, I've I've never seen that. No, it's I've never not. seen. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, I've never seen that happen to the Astros in the playoffs where they right. lose two in a row at home. It's not happening. Not none of us have since since this all started. I don't think. I, and I think the Braves and the Astros would be a, a pretty good World Series. I think. Yeah. I think it'll be some good games. It's funny because from a, a TV rating standpoint, of course, uh, Dodger, Dodgers, Red Sox would be their yeah be the the best matchup for them, but. But from a baseball standpoint, I agree. I think Astros Braves would be good, and I hope the Braves win. Like I hope, the, I hope the obviously going to be ruined against the Astros, but I hope the Braves finally, after all these postseason failures, I mean, their franchise is synonymous with postseason failure. I hope that they, I hope they can come through. I, I would like that for their fan base, especially since there's huge overlap over obviously Braves and Falcons fans, and I just have to imagine. That that Super Bowl loss is still 
Go, it, it still has to be aching in Atlanta sports fans. Oh, absolutely. Like, that's absolutely. one that just like, I don't know how you ever get over, but. Um, I'll be interested to see if they do win. Like, do they sign Freddie Freeman back? You know what I'm saying? Do they do they run it back? Do they keep or do they just let them walk if they win? Yeah. You know, like, I'd be interested to see how they go about it. I thought you were going to say it'd be interesting if they give the Falcons World Series rings. <laughs> 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 that would be even better. <laughs> I think they should do that. I think it'd be <laughs> I think it'd be the right thing to do. All right, so you wrap up with this. Any what are what are um some big uh observations for you from first uh, couple nights in the NBA? Anything that like stood out big time? We talked about the Nets struggles, how good the Bucks looked that opening night. What else uh you know, now we've had we had you know all the games from Wednesday as well now. Uh, anything that like jumps out to you? Because the Warriors are good again. Does that mean you're jumping ship and going back to being a nah, Warriors fan? No, nah, not yet, not yet. You got to ride might, with though. Durant, though, right? I got to ride like, with Durant for a little while, but but okay. the Warriors are good again because it's crazy. Um, my my finals prediction was uh, Nets Warriors. Nets Warriors, yeah, yeah. I um, I think I think they're because they're also going to get Clay back. They're going to get Wiseman back. Like they're going to get Kamingo, who I think is. Awesome. I mean, you know, I mean, it's hard to ask a lot of rookies, but but how do you um, pr- how do you pronounce the center's name? Uh, Wiseman. No, the guy that played, the guy that started the other night. Lo- Kavon Looney. No, who started at center? Nah, uh, uh, I can't even pronounce his name, bro. It starts with a B. Uh, let me see who started. But he passes the ball well. He can shoot. He's a pick and pop like big. He reminds me kind of like a David Lee almost a little bit. He got David Lee vibes. With oh the no. Uh, Nemanja Bjelica. Yes. Yes. He. Yeah. He's like a. He's got. Look, yeah. yeah. He's I, like I mean, a four small ball five. You could use him. Yeah. Bro, I like. Yes. I like his game, man. And they move the ball. He can pass, and you yeah. know, they move the ball really well with him in the, with him in the game. Yes, he is. He he could shoot, man. He can shoot. He can really shoot. He's a guy who hasn't re- like I. He was stuck on the Timberwolves for a long time. Feels like that's the story of a lot of players' careers. <laughs> but like he he's a guy who on a winning team could fit in real nicely. Not, I mean, speaking of stuck on the Timberwolves, not unlike Wiggins, right? Like Andrew Wiggins, yeah. is, he's miscast on Minnesota because he's a number one overall pick. He gets max money. He's not a guy who can be your one or two for being a championship team. But if all of a sudden he's your four, if he's your fourth best player. And he's honed in on just doing very specific things. Like I can't tell you how much Steve Kerr raved about him to us last year, with with him really honing in on what the Warriors are asking Wiggins to do. And, and he so, he played he played LeBron all night the other night. Yeah, like that was his man. You know what and, I'm saying? Like, and if you watch it down the stretch of that game, he had some big time winning plays, offensive rebounds, uh, keeping balls alive, even just like tipping rebounds to teammates like hustle plays that's what they want from you know they don't want him taking 25 shots a night they want him yeah exactly what did what did you think about the warriors early early impression on the warriors i mean uh, the the lakers i mean i'm sorry the lakers well i think the most important things for the lakers is having ad and lebron healthy and looking good because i think above all else if you have those two guys playing like superstars, you're going to win a lot of games and you're going to be live come the playoffs. Because as we saw last year, just watching only Durant being healthy, if you have that 
truly transcendent star, it makes you a live team in the playoffs. Like, no matter how many games you win in the regular season, whatever it is. However, so to me, that was the most important thing, and they showed that. I mean, they both had, what, 33 and 11 and 34 and 11. Yeah. But but I I think Russell's a a tough – Russell could be a tough fit. He could be a tough fit. I think this Lakers team that we're watching right now won't be the team that we watch come the spring. There's going to be a completely different roster, guys. This, yeah. this, they go, LeBron, the GM is going to kick in and be like, oh, we got to <laughs> we gotta move some fucking pieces because this ain't going to work. Well, I mean, look, I, I don't think that Kent Bazemore and DeAndre Jordan are going to start forever with this Lakers team. I just don't yeah. see that happening. It's going to be some rosters moves, guys. Yeah. But as long as those two guys yeah, are healthy, as long as they're healthy yeah. they got a chance, you know. I, but, and, and you just got to pray that AD can stay healthy. That's the yeah. only thing. I mean, you know, you know, LeBron had the the extended period last year, but that's the first time in a long time that he's been, or ever, that he's been hurt for that long. So you just got to hope that AD can stay healthy for, you know, a big chunk of the season. I, I, I to- totally agree. And they'll have to be a little careful like that with minutes. Um, and it's funny because they have so, they just kind of have like so many guys who, all could be contributors off the bench that are in like the same realm you, that you like when you don't know who to bench. Like, cause when Talon Horton Tucker comes back, right. And, and you have, and Ariza comes back, yeah. you know, and Ariza's really good. Ariza's going to help. But so you have a Ariza, Ariza up though. Right. You have Ariza, Horton Tucker, Bradley, Dwight Howard, Malik Monk, Rajon Rondo, Carmelo Anthony. It's like, you can't play all those guys, but I don't know that there's anyone that really, separates themselves you know like so for me it would be trev like the, the out of all those guys the first two off the bench for me would be trevor reason when he's healthy and avery bradley because those yeah. these those dudes are going to d up run get loose balls like you said winning plays tipping the balls to teammates and doing the little scrappy things that you need to do to win when you have you know the, the caliber of superstars that the lakers have the that yeah i i could see that it, it depending on the only thing i wonder is like what those guys have left in the tank, which yeah. will bear itself out. But the thing with Russell and, you know, I know he had a really poor shooting game the other day, but like LeBron usually has the ball in his hands. Well, Russell's only Russell if he has the ball in his hands. So yes. like I, you're going to have to stagger their minutes some in order to get the most out of Russell. Uh, you know, it, you got Russ, to play Russ with the second unit. I feel like so, at least for stretches, you're going to have to, I think. Because if Russ is, Russ is just hanging out on the perimeter as a catch and shoot option, that is the worst part of his game. So, yeah, yeah. like, and and, that, it, and it's going to frustrate him. Too. Yeah, you know and, what I'm saying? and he could still do all the other things. Like, I mean, last year he still averaged a triple double. Like, he's still a tour de force. So it's just kind of finding the lanes to access that part of him. You know, last thing I just want to say, NBA wise, see, we got to give the Knicks credit, man. They. uh they no, were. You got to give the Knicks credit. Yeah, man. They, you don't ever get a Knicks no credit. <laughs> <laughs> you, you right now, what you just said, I'm going to have all these Knicks fans tweeting at me. Yeah, Ryan. CC's right. You don't give the Knicks enough credit. Look, look, they're, they're, they, what they're doing is exactly what they need to do. I, I, I said it at the end of last year in the playoffs, and I believe we'll end up saying it again this year. They still don't have their two best players on their team for where they eventually want to go. But they are going to get the most out of this group. They're going to be fun to watch. They're going to grind. They're going to win a ton of games. And the Garden's going to be alive. And you you could not have had a better opening game to start to pen the script, building off of what they did last year. 
than what we saw in the Garden Wednesday night with a double overtime win against the Celtics. And I think that's all you need is just to build the culture back up, right? Like, just get people back excited. Get get the Garden back rocking. Get LeBron tweeting about the Garden rocking. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it, the Garden had become, you know, a place where nobody really cared about it anymore. You know what I'm saying? Because the Knicks weren't relevant. But if the Knicks are relevant, this is a basketball channel. We always talk about this. The, the Knicks run this city. So if they are good... They gonna take it's it's not a Yankees town. The Yankees only run the town because we win. You yeah. know what I'm saying? When the Knicks start winning, it's gonna be a Knicks city. It, the 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 Knicks are going to be a they're they're gonna be a a fun, vibrant story throughout this entire regular season. Like they are, and the the Garden has turned into a television star because yes. of the way we went without fans for so long, and then the way the Garden came alive last year. Madison Square Garden is now a TV star uh, for these for NBA games. So it was fun to see it that way last night. Um, and, you know, I think you have to give a ton of credit to Leon Rose and World Wide West and Tom Thibodeau for uh, for what they've done to bring credibility and respectability back to the product uh, and really trying to resurrect what was a two decade long you know, just uh, slog of mediocrity at its best and, you know, ineptitude when it was at its worst. And now you have really planted seeds of hope. And uh, and that first game was the best way to continue to water those seeds. So Knicks fans should be waking up feeling very excited about what they saw from their team last night, what they saw from the Garden, and what they're going to be able to experience this year. Oh, no, nah, Knicks fans woke up today talking about they go, they they went in the, it's going to be a parade in the city this year. Well, they, that, they, that, they, that, <laughs> that, that's, that's where Knicks fans go too far. Knicks, Knicks, you know what always cracked me up, and Stephen A. and I used to joke about this a little bit, like, Knicks fans would be like, you don't give us any credit. Like, it's the media's fault. We'd be like, you lost 60 games. What do you want from us? You know, like, like Knicks fans have this hilariously blind loyalty where they can't it's i've talked about this with you before see it's funny because there's such crossover between knicks and yankees fans yeah and those people when they're looking at the yankees yankees could win 104 games gary sanchez could hit 25 home runs they'll pick that dude apart knicks could lose 55 games and be like why are you talking bad about my team <laughs> like, <laughs> but the, but let me this knicks team is not winning a championship they're not emerging from the eastern conference but they are doing everything they need to do to lay the foundation to eventually get there and be attractive enough to get the players they need to get there. So enjoy the ride without extrapolating out to what this can or can't be because what it is going to be is it's going to be a team that's going to win a lot of games this regular season and it's going to be fun to watch with an incredibly lit up Madison Square Garden. And that is not nothing. That's not something that should just be sneezed at. That's something very significant and essential for when you're rebuilding the culture. Look, that's what the Nets did a couple years ago to get to get attractive enough to lure KD and Kyrie, right? Yeah. Like if they're coming off, you know, back to back to back 50 lost seasons, they're not getting those guys. You you don't think when free agency comes, some of these dudes looking at the garden now, looking at the pieces, looking at the competency, aren't going to think differently than they did five years ago? Of course they are. Of course they are. So kudos to the Knicks because they're on their way. No doubt. And this is a city where, you know, guys should want to come and play. You know, this yes. is New York City. So, you know, if, if the organizations run right and in which they are, you know, turning around, then it's gonna be a destination for a lot of a lot of players. 
All right, see. Uh, we'll we'll do it again. Um, you know, we'll do it again in a few days, man. We're yeah. we're, we're 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 churning them out now, baby. I actually have uh, I have Lakers Suns for my first NBA game Sunday night. I mean, excuse oh, me, fr- Friday one. night, Friday night on ESPN. Yeah, so and then the Nets, the Nets play Friday night. They play the Nets 76ers. play Sixers. Yeah, yeah so that's the first game. game on ESPN, and then I have the second game, which is Suns Lakers, which should be great. And then Sunday, I have the Nets home opener, which I. I can't wait to experience that because uh, the preseason Barkley Center was alive, excited to watch a full season, you know, in person. Didn't get to see these guys in person except for the playoffs last year, last you know. Year, yeah. So I'm excited for the home opener against the Hornets, who had a fascinating comeback win in their yeah, opener. Yeah. They, a, the East is loaded, man. No, the, the East, East is really good this year. There's going to be good teams in the East that miss the playoffs. Like, they, no question about it. Um, all right, see? Want to give a big thanks to our producer, Sadie Zillow, and our man, Brian Waters, stepping in for the great Bobby Wagner for their help today. Love our Ringer staff. Make sure you're following us on Spotify um, or wherever you get your podcasts, and follow us on all our social channels as well. We'll talk to you in a few days. Peace, everybody. Peace, everybody.